1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The people have spoken, ladies and gentlemen, sick of the narrative, tired of the broken promises, fed up with the goalposts constantly being moved and irritated by the ever-changing policies of this government lockdown. We decided to ask Talk Radio listeners what they thought. After all, we are the home of Common Sense, the place where freedom of speech is not only promoted but is positively encouraged. Yesterday, we were thrown a challenge by Independent Travel Editor Simon Calder. He said he bet that if we asked the audience what they wanted from Boris Johnson they would say tighter border controls not less border controls and a better lockdown I disagreed and guess what you didn't let me down. We are constantly told by government ministers and the media that we all want a tighter lockdown. YouGov poll after poll reports that 70% of people in Britain want more restrictions on their lives and their liberties. Well, not here at Talk Radio because here are the results. With just half an hour left to go in a 24-hour Twitter poll, I can declare the results because they're not very likely to change anytime soon. The message is loud and clear. You want the government to end the shutdown and let us live our lives. That's right. Almost one year on from the first restrictions being Imposed because of a virus from China after three national lockdowns, a fire break, tiers one, two, three, four, and five. Was there a six? I can't remember. And months of frustration. Here's what you want. Asked whether you want to shut down borders or open the economy, a massive 81% of you want to open the economy. And since over 28,000 of you actually voted, that's about 10 times the sample size of any national survey conducted. By any of the big pollsters, we'll be passing the results to Downing Street today. In fact, we've got a member of the uh, government coming on later on, and we'll be putting them to him as well. 03444991000. We're kicking off with Stuart Jackson this morning, and the news that the European Union is now trying to lock Britain out of its banking market in its latest sulk with our Brexit victory. And Alberto Costa will be here as well to tell us what the latest is on whether you should or should not actually book a holiday. 03444991000. Author and commentator Helen Dale joins us once more as well with a message. For all the regular people out there. It's time to take back control, is what she's going to be saying. And Lewis McLeod is here to cheer us all up as well. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Let's talk to Alberto Costa, Conservative MP for South Leicestershire, Parliamentary Private Secretary to the Attorney General. Alberto, very good morning to you.
0: Morning, Mike. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Not at all. Thank you very much indeed. There's been a lot of talk overnight, hasn't there, about these new restrictions and particularly this 10-year penalty for people who tell lies on their uh, locator form when they come back into the country. A lot of legal people think it's not really, one, enforceable and possibly not even
0: constitutionally allowable. So in terms of the last point, it is constitutionally, constitutionally allowable. Parliament is sovereign. And Parliament, through acts of Parliament, empowers the executive, empowers the government to take uh, various measures. I think the question that you rightly ask, Mike, is: Is this a fair and proportionate proposal? I think what I'd like to say to your listeners, and it's really important that, that we explain this. Whatever politicians pass, whether it's the executive, the government, or whether it's MPs through acts of Parliament, and scrutinising other forms of legislation. It's not politicians that adjudicate um, when individuals are charged with an offence. That's really important. It's for the judiciary, which are entirely separate from government and from parliament. So, yes, Matt Hancock has made this announcement um, in terms of potentially a custodial sentence of up to 10 years. But it would be entirely a matter for a judge, for the court system to determine whether an offence of the covid regulations is so egregious that it would go anywhere near that 10 year maximum i, I would also add mike that there's a lot lots of sent lots of uh, potential activities criminal activities in our country where custodial sentences are quite severe but they're very rarely meted out to to that extent so it's not unusual of itself mike uh, to give that latitude to the judiciary but I would have thought, with my legal hat on, I would have thought that it would be only in extremis that someone would receive such a custodial sentence yes. for breaching the regulation. I
1: think you would probably concede, you may or may not wish to, Alberto, though, that uh, it was a bit of grandstanding by Matt Hancock, wasn't it? Because as you quite rightly point out, it's very unlikely that anyone is going to get 10 years for putting something down on a form uh, that turns out not to be true. But yet he made a virtue of it as if this was a big threat because clearly what he wants to do is discourage anyone from
0: doing it. Well, you've hit the nail on the head. It's about discouraging people. Look, there is a growing number of people, albeit still a very small minority, but nevertheless growing number of COVID sceptics who some people don't even believe that there there is a virus out there. And I receive an enormous amount of constituent uh, correspondence, Mike, that says to me, I'm abiding by the COVID regulations, but I've seen a neighbour or I've seen somebody else that's not abiding by the COVID regulations. It's not fair, etc." And my starting point is always to remind people that we police our country by consent. We are not an authoritarian country, thank God. We have a system in our country where the police police by consent. And long may that remain. And so the regulations that were first brought in in the first lockdown back in March of last year and subsequent regulations that have been passed, increasing the fines, increasing the strictness, of the lockdown is really all about reminding people that ultimately they have to abide by these rules and regulations uh, why, and why is that the case uh, mike is it's, it's very simply this if you're an asymptomatic carrier of the virus you're fit and healthy and you don't think you've got the virus and you're out there and you're breaching the COVID regulations you're not wearing a mask indoors and you transmit that virus to someone else well that person that receives the virus through no fault of their own may end up becoming very seriously ill and in some cases tragically die. So it is incumbent upon politicians, and I'm sure you'll understand this, my first job is to protect people. This is a -a once-in-a-century crisis. We're getting our way through it. We've got vaccines. There has to be light at the end of the tunnel, and I agree. We're awaiting the Prime Minister's uh, um, plan to get us out of this really draconian situation. And so I will be awaiting, like everybody else, for the Prime Minister's announcement in a matter of days.
1: Yes, that's fine, Alberto, and I think your uh, aims are, are, are very admirable. However, your job is also to protect the livelihoods and the lives of all people in this country, not just the very small proportion of them, who will end up dying from coronavirus, because that, in the end, is the decision that you guys have to make, the proportionality of what you are doing and the damage that is being caused by the collateral uh, damage around the coronavirus restrictions. And as you've heard from me this morning, you know, an awful lot of people voted in our poll, many, many more times, uh, uh, 10 times more people than ever vote in any UGov poll, and 81% of them want to see the economy open back up again. And I think the problem is, is that we've had this now for such a long time that many people are at breaking point, Alberto.
0: Well, look, I think um, having polls like this are very useful. They certainly help inform me and other decision makers, um, and I want to see, I'm part of that, 81%, I want to see the economy reopened as quickly as possible. We clearly can't continue, Mike, like this indefinitely. There are some sectors of our economy that are on their knees, the hospitality yep. industry, for example. But on the other hand, there are some areas of the economy that have been doing extremely well. I think of online shopping. Most of us have been doing a lot of online shopping, perhaps more than we would typically do. But that doesn't offset the damage that's been done to the economy no. at all. Uh, and it's imperative that we we reopen the economy. The question is, the number of people that have died, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about tens of thousands of people that have lost their life directly as a result of COVID, not um, that they've been tested for COVID and they've died for some other reason. They've died directly as a result of COVID. Now, Mike, I would say this to you and your, your listeners, if there was a terrorist attack and 30 people died, tragically lost their life, you would rightly expect politicians to take action in this case we've had tens of Yeah but thousands what you wouldn't do yeah but hang on what you
1: wouldn't do in that situation is close down London because somebody attacked a Borough Market right which is effectively what you've well, done. Well,
0: I, I was in London. I was in London in 2005 when we did have the terrorist attack. My mobile phone didn't work. That was clo- shut down the reception. There was, you know, we were, were asked to leave parts of London. Actually, some draconian measures can be taken depending on the nature of the circumstances. But look, I don't want to compare apples with oranges. I totally agree. We need to get our economy reopened, and the challenge that the prime minister has got is to do that as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. Without us having yet another spike and this endless roller coaster of up and down. So I agree with the 81%. I want to see the economy reopened as quickly as possible. And I look forward to the Prime Minister coming forward with his.
1: Yes, me too. And I think a lot of parents are particularly keen to find out when their children can go back to school because I do worry very much about our young people, particularly teenagers, the youngsters, the ones at primary school perhaps not so much, but teenagers in particular. I mean, my own 16-year-old son was out last weekend sledging with his mates. First time he'd seen them this year, right? And you should have seen how happy he was because he was able to actually have some social interaction with someone.
0: Mate, Apart if you from if, if you cup your ear, you just might hear my uh, eight-year-old son in the background. So in between these interviews... Ha- I, ha- I hope he's heckling you. <laughs> of course he is. He wants to be on your show at some point. No problem. So. <laughs> But look, I, I'm, I'm the father of two young children. I've got a secondary school-aged child and a primary uh, school-aged child. Both go to state schools. Uh, and, you know, my wife and I are trying our very best, as all parents are throughout the country... We're both trying to work, trying to do our job, uh, and at the same time, ensure that our children uh, get as much of an education as possible. These are really difficult times. And that's why I think it's not just about reopening the economy. It's getting our kids back to school as quickly as possible. And I hope that we will get the kids back to school uh, from the 8th of March when the Prime Minister has hinted that that might be the date. That we start to reopen schools yes of so course. yes yeah. i agree with with your listeners we want to get things moving quickly but i would i end with this point about this this situation and, and it's this let's look at the success story we had a vaccine that was approved a matter of weeks ago people seem to forget this it was only mid-december mm. a matter of weeks ago and we've already vaccinated over 10 million people i mean this is this is just incredible this is a mammoth task that we've all done together yeah. and we should yeah. all be be quite um, well maybe not pleased but we should certainly be satisfied that when it comes to it the British people can work together and get things done. Oh I don't
1: think there's any doubt I mean even Angela Rayner can't pick holes in the vaccination <laughs> policy I mean Nicola Sturgeon different uh, matter before you go I must ask you about what's going on uh, up in Holyrood and the Scottish Parliament because on Monday Peter Murrell uh, Nicola Sturgeon's husband, the First Minister of Scotland, uh, was, ac- was accused of basically committing a criminal act. Now, you're uh, in uh, private secretary to the Attorney-General. He was accused of committing a criminal act by making a false statement, and nothing seems to have happened about that. I mean, I find that quite extraordinary. Alex Salmond has refused to go before the committee because the committee won't let him talk about the things he wants to talk about. I mean, it seems like some kind of cabal wrapped inside an enigma.
0: Well, I couldn't agree more with you, Mike. There's certainly something that's uh, very smelly in this whole affair. And uh, the quicker that the Scottish Parliament's inquiry can get to the bottom and shine light uh, as a disinfectant mm. um, on the actions or omissions of all the protagonists involved, the better it will be. And let's not forget, there's two groups of people that are suffering. Group number one are the people that alleged, and we have to be careful because Alex Salmond was acquitted of the charges with people that alleged that he'd committed some wrongdoing. But secondly, there's also the wider people of Scotland, and for that matter, the whole of the UK, that have to watch this sorry saga of a separatist government at war with itself. And at the end of the day, not providing the people of Scotland with the services that they're entitled to. Look at the vaccine rollout. Why has it not been as successful in Scotland? The Scottish Secretary of State only a week ago wrote to Nicola Sturgeon offering further UK assistance to help in the vaccine delivery in Scotland. This is the problem that we've got with the separatists and government in Edinburgh. They do not want to focus on the principal job, which is ensuring that they provide the best public services to the people of Scotland through the money that's supplied at UK government level. In other words, all of us, as British society, contributed to this. And the sorry shenanigans between Sturgeon and Salmon, the quicker that these characters are out of office, the better for all of us who love britain
1: absolutely alberto thank you very much indeed alberto costa uh, conservative mp for south leicestershire parliamentary private secretary to the attorney general conceding there pretty much that the 10 years uh, which is going to be handed down uh, supposedly as a prison sentence to anyone who tells lies on their uh, locator form uh, is never going to happen
2: if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
0: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: It's time to say a very, very good morning to Helen Dale. Helen, how are you? Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Very excited by the uh, results of our poll that we put out yesterday, which uh, <laughs> which showed, I mean, not s- terribly surprisingly, I suppose you might say, but 28,000 people plus is a big number for a Twitter poll. And if that was a YouGov poll, people would be singing it from the rooftops, right? But we're apparently in an echo chamber, so it doesn't matter. doesn't count. But actually, I think it does count because it shows you there's a great number of people. 81% of people do not want more restrictions on our borders. They actually want the economy to be open. Up. Well, the difficulty with polling, there's, there's sort of there's always been struggles
3: for pollsters of any sort, and this includes your your Twitter poll as well as uh, uh, an official polling organisation like YouGov uh, to get what's known as a representative sample. Yes. Now, uh, representative samples, notionally, it should be possible in the United Kingdom for a number with to, to get one with only 2,000 people polled. But it is enormously difficult because to get a representative sample, you have to get the geography right, you have to get the age right, you have to get the sex split right uh, uh, as uh, as well. Mm. And that that's very, very hard to do. Uh, the difficulty for, I mean, I don't know where the bulk of your listeners are for talk radio is that you'll probably lose from the beginning on the ge- geographical distribution and, and it's interesting you mentioned yougov i mean i'm on uh, i without uh, you're not supposed to say what questions you get asked but i'm on the observation panel okay so i've been polled quite regularly and i'm always completely truthful and there are quite a number of times when i've done the observation filled filled it in and as soon as it reveals uh my constituency and which county i'm in um i've dropped out because they've obviously got enough people in the sort of the 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 tory shires which is what this area is Mm. um but occasionally i've been dropped out because i'm female they've obviously got enough women yeah um yeah stuff like that it is really quite hard to poll well yes to do to do polling well and we had a number of polling disasters and going back with various elections 2010 2015 and then the the brexit poll they got them right in 2019 they then americans to be fair and their electoral system is very different struggled in 2020, they didn't realise that people would vote against Trump, but in favour of their down-ballot Republicans. So it was a vote against him, but not so much against the Republican Party. Mm. That that kind of thing. But it's very, very difficult in America to do accurate polling, and I, I have seen suggestions from people who are more numerate than me that it may actually be impossible to well, do I, in the United States. No, listen. States. I, I
1: think it's very, very difficult to use polls for anything, given the recent history of their inaccuracies, and I think. Mm. Uh, it's far from scientific. I mean, I know lots of pollsters will tell you it's very scientific, but I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. It's about as scientific as SAGE is scientific. You know, they think they know what they're doing, but they don't. I mean, you can, you can always get... I mean, we used to do polls in newspapers uh, all the time, and the first thing the pollster said to you was, well, what result do you want to get from the poll? And I know that newspapers are more often than not, um, you know, looking for that kind of thing when pollsters are not supposed to be. But if you believe Noam Chomsky, everybody's biased and everybody wants something out of the poll without actually necessarily knowing that that's what they want. Well,
3: yes. And you have even in jurisdictions historically where polls have been very accurate. Australia is an example of that. The famous news poll in Australia always used to reliably predict election results. Mm. Um, And then in 2019, it was wrong, it failed. And that was very, very unusual in the context of Australian history because part of a problem with an election poll or a referendum poll is people telling you that they will vote and then they don't. Mm. Now, and that's always something that has to be, to use the statistician's expression, it has to be controlled for with a poll that in, in this country. Um, or in the United States. Now, in Australia, you don't have to control for that because of compulsory voting. So one of the three things that uh, that um, p- make life difficult for pollsters, the worry that people are not actually going to physically go to the polling place mm. after they've told you how they're going to vote, um, is not an issue in in Australia for that reason. And it does mean it's easier to get accurate polls. But then in 2019, even the Mighty News poll was felled and got the outcome of the Australian election wrong. Um, So even there.
1: Well, listen, um, I know that it's not in any way a similar situation, but while we're talking about Australia, before we get to your CapEx piece, which is fascinating (laughs) in itself, um, let's talk a bit about this lockdown uh, latest from Matt Hancock, you know, the quarantine in a hotel scenario. Um, Mm. I can see how it worked in Australia. In fact, I know somebody, I think I've told you before, who went back to see his parents in Perth, was immediately yep. taken from the airport in a car to the hotel, put in the hotel, was told he couldn't come out. all worked fine. I can't see that happening here somehow.
3: Well, basically, I, I, interestingly, you mentioned CapEx. I wrote a piece last year um, because I was seeing increasingly hysterical claims from various people where everybody wanted um Coronavirus and the way these few countries that have been very successful at managing it, and Australia is one. Mm. They all wanted them to be politically similar.
1: Yeah,
3: you know, so they were trying to make an ideological point, or run by women, so they were trying to make a mixture of an ideological and a feminist point. Yeah, um, or to all use the same scientific strategy. So they wanted to make a a, a, a science point Mm. and at this stage this gives you an idea it was an anti-sage point because sage were at the time recommending against masks and uh, then they changed their tune and i i became increasingly annoyed with this so i finished up writing a piece where i just said you know, Jacinda Ardern is centre, ele- in New Zealand is centre-left, Scott Morrison in Australia is centre-right, he's actually quite conservative, he's an evangelical Christian, which is relatively unusual mm. in the context of Australian politics, the government in Japan is centre-right, the government in Taiwan is centre-left, Vietnam is an autocracy, it doesn't even have elections, you know, Sa- South Korea, um, different political system again, and then they all use Different science like there were there was never at any point mask mandates in new zealand in australia there were only mask mandates in victoria you know the rest of the country didn't do this at all south korea used test and trace however we now know that the test and trace software that south korea used is not something we can reproduce in the united kingdom or in the eu because we've got anti-privacy led we've got privacy rights legislation that they don't have in south korea um and yes and and they
1: properly operated as they did in dubai a system whereby if you don't have this certification or this app you do not go into a building i mean we have it here but nobody pays any attention to it
3: no and the the what australia and new zealand did also against the advice of at the time of the world health organization um australia is not a terribly rules oriented player when it comes to international law i've talked about this Mm. before Um, and to international organizations it will just ignore them when it suits it yeah about the only time it really plays the international law and global rules-based order game is when it comes to trade Uh, it does that very well and that's a good thing to be emulated but when it comes to immigration to refugees to border control Australia will do what it wants to do Mm. and it will tend to drag New Zealand along with it because New Zealand is just a much smaller country and there's this big country in front of it stuck in front of it in the form of australia so when the world health organization was recommending against um quarantines australia ignored them and there is fairly substantial evidence going right back to classical antiquity and this is what nasim taleb wrote about is that far more effective than any of the other things that you do to deal with a pandemic is just shut the borders Mm. and i mean quarantine is from quaranta uh italian for 40 because that's how going right back to classical antiquity going back to roman times that's how they used to how long they used to make the ships weigh anchor in harbour before they could come on on onto shore to to deal with if there were there was plague on the ship Mm. um so but australia has done its thing that it does very well in order to control covid and that's shut the borders yes Now, whether the UK has the state capacity to do the same thing, you're quite right to doubt. Because yes. I mean, it's it's struggled already with just the little diggies coming across from France. Well, I mean, Never I was making other this, things. Well, I
1: was making this point earlier, and you're uh, legally uh, you're a good person to ask this question to. I put it um, to Stuart Jackson this morning. You know, if Matt Hancock is enabled to make an immediate kind of ruling which uh, invents a new crime for which you can go to prison for ten years, according to him, although we know that's probably legally dodgy. You know, how can they then turn around and say, well, of course, we can't stop these people coming from France? because of the EU or because of human rights or because of all sorts of other reasons, any excuse to use, when basically they've just said that they can criminalise ordinary working people of this country who have come back from holiday. So why on earth can they do the same thing? Well, yes, I have read
3: a lot of... I have read comments from a number of lawyers suggesting that this is all... Bluster. ...alarming and not possible because of the absence of parliamentary scrutiny. I mean, it's the usual thing of, of... I mean, people... I I recognise that people dislike lawyers, they think we're roadblocks, they think we get in the way and so on and so forth. But at the moment... That's until you need one, though, isn't it? Until you need one, exactly. (laughs) At the moment, the only successful opposition to the more draconian aspects of the lockdown and things like ridiculous fines being handed out to university students, you may recall, you know, £10,000 fines and things like that. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, people like Adam Wagner and Francis Har and there are others but they're the two most high profile ones because they've been all over the media mm. talking about it um they're the they're the ones protecting your civil liberties at the moment mm. and i mean i have been quite alarmed by people who a number of people who are notionally on my side of the political aisle as in they are within the classical liberal tradition of conservatism um, they, I mean, some of them call themselves neoliberals now, and I'm, I'm really not quite sold on that because that was the rotten name that lefties gave to, mm. to people who were classical liberals in the Tory party. But there does seem to be a division now between traditional classical liberals like me who focus on civil liberties and this sort of newer ne- neoliberal group who are really quite authoritarian and have not sort of learnt the lesson uh, that they should have learnt, that comes within their political tradition, you know, the Milton Friedman or F.A. Hayek lesson, which is there is nothing so permanent as temporary government overreach. And yes. I've just paraphrased that. Well, I mean, this is he, what Peter was in Hitchens... in the context of income tax, Yeah, but...
1: well, Peter Hitchens was saying that this week, that all you've got to do is look at Downing Street, where they erected those big iron gates uh, in order to stop a uh, potential truck bomb coming in to kill Margaret mm. Thatcher at some point or other, um, and they've never been taken down. Now, you know, you might say, well, that's quite sensible. They're not taken down because there are still terror threats out there. But it's a good example, I think, of something that was done for a specific purpose and then it wasn't taken away. No
3: uh, and this is more broadly I mean people have now we've had lots of complaints for example about the difficulty with the police using the hate crimes operational guidance which originally was developed on the back of the Macpherson report yeah. uh, to, to report you know to arrest people for, for improper comments about whether it's the transgender issue whether it's about Captain Tom that's the latest one you know whatever you know it's sort of you're nicking someone for something that they said in a tweet.
1: Yes, which is a bit troublesome. Good luck with uh... getting
3: the police to pay attention if you call them up and say that your bicycle's been stolen or your house's been burgled. I know. Or phone or whatever it is. I mean, I'm going back... I'm one of these people who cycles everywhere. So, I mean, I would I would be very annoyed if my bike got pinched and then the police didn't pay any attention to well, me when I reported it. Well, I hope
1: it, it doesn't get pinched because that's exactly what will happen. But let's, before we run out <laughs> of time, get to what we were supposed to talk about, which was, of course, this book, Head, Hand, Heart, The Struggle for Dignity and Status of the 21st Century. Uh, tell us about that.
3: Well, David Goodhart is an interesting figure because he actually founded Prospect magazine which is the left wing version of standpoint basically mm. so you've seen me talk about pieces i've written for standpoint o- o- over the last year or so well he founded prospect which is the 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 the, le- the high quality glossy lefty version mm. but he's from a very distinctive labour tradition that you could probably or part, parts of his ideas that you could probably describe as blue labor kind yeah. of Maurice Glasman, Paul Embury, that that kind of thing. Not completely. There are certain areas where he's more economically closer to the Conservatives than he is to the socialist tradition that someone like say Embury might uphold. Right. But his argument in head, hand, heart is basically a one sentence summary is that smart people of a very particular and narrowly defined type have become too powerful.
1: Yes, I agree with that.
3: So he's not criticising smart people full stop. There are lots of smart people in a population um, who do all sorts of different things and all sorts of different jobs. So he's not lining up everybody who's who's clever.
1: Mm. I suspect what he's talking about, the people that I refer to as those people who think they're smarter than everybody else.
3: That covers a lot of it, mm. but basically what he's talking about is that he describes them as a cognitive elite, people who, for want of a better word, um, although my social class isn't quite right, but um, people like me, you know, who who went to Oxford or Cambridge and then have just basically never had a difficult day in their lives as a, to a large degree as, as a result of it. Mm. But also what he's talking about is That used to be a relatively small number of people who were of that type and people didn't accept that everybody in Parliament, for example, or everybody who edited a newspaper had to be a Russell Group Mm. graduate or an ancient Scottish graduate. Uh, they didn't used to do that. Either. There was always room for people who came up via the trade union movement, via the skilled trades and via both arms of the medical profession, yeah. not just not doctors, but nurses as well. And the way Goodhart describes it is, yes, there was a ladder up from the universities to do well, but there was lots of other little ladders that existed for people who came from non-traditional yes. backgrounds to get ahead. That's Those true. I mean, people la-
1: people ask me this question all the time when I talk to them about the sort of the, the media, uh, how it is today and how it's become what it is today. And I think that's very much part of it. The, the, the trade of being a newspaper man or woman has more or less yes. disappeared and it's graduates only. And they might not all be Russell Group graduates, but they're graduates nonetheless. And so it tends to mm-hmm. have become much more middle class as an occupation which obviously then influences the kind of journalism that they do.
3: Well, yes. And Goodhart talks about this. He's, he's, Uh, And it's why in my piece for CapEx, I started with an American story uh, by an American senator. I'm not quite sure how you say his name. um, He's from Nebraska and Mm. he's a Republican. But obviously, if you if you click the link to his article at The Atlantic, he's one of the moderate Republicans. Um, His name is, I think, Senator Ben Sasse. S-A-S-S-E. I think you say it, Sasse. Okay. And anyway, he talks about exactly what you're talking about in his article, the failure of the legacy media to 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 provide proper news gathering and the conveying of of, of, of useful information to americans on both sides of politics mm. but a lot of people just leave it there and just say well you know fox and cnn and msnbc or whoever it is they're all rubbish and they just get their facts wrong and yada 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 and there is grounds for some of that criticism but the point that he then goes on to make is that the social media companies are just orders of magnitude worse yeah and he makes a similar point to the one that Douglas Murray has made in the Mail on Sunday a couple of weeks ago here where Murray said all all these social media companies are reinventing the wheel mm. and they're doing a terrible job of it. You know, all the things that traditional newspaper journalists and then later broadcast journalists had to think of for like 300 years and nearly 100 years respectively. David Goodhart picks that argument up about the, the problem with the press and he argues pretty persuasively in the sort of the first half of, of Head, Hand, Heart that, um, that what has caused it is the narrowing of the recruitment of of. of the, the press class the media class mm. from people who are only very clever but only clever in a very narrow way to use my old tutor vernon Bogdanor's expression clever in the exam passing classes sense yes not necessarily clever in other areas well we yeah, call it, this
1: is why we call ourselves here the home of common sense because what they don't have is common sense they have maybe a great deal of expertise in certain areas. I mean, Robert Peston, for example, is a great example. If you ask Robert Peston how to get from here to Manchester, uh, you'd be standing there all day waiting for the instructions to to stop, you know? Whereas uh, if you wanted him to write a book about the economic structure of Hungary, he would probably be very good, you know? So it's it's a disconnect. And my view of journalism is it's supposed to be an interpretation of what is going on, which might be quite complicated, simplified so that everybody can understand it.
3: Yes, and also, I mean, there's been lots of talk recently and the thing is the evidence on point on this is actually quite equivocal, that people need to see themselves represented in reflected back to them yes well we hear this well we
1: hear this argument all the time don't we from the from the bame community that if they see more people who look who look like them being successful then they will become in turn more successful but we don't know we don't hear that from from anyone who's an ordinary working class person saying well why can't we have more working class people reading the news
3: news yes or why can't why can't we have our values our values represented because i am getting the distinct impression and i know they're going to be in a sense a rival to talk radio although they're television rather than radio broadcast good luck with that i uh, i suspect gb news is designed to fill this gap yes it's a two-fold thing it's what you were talking about you've talked about a few times the regions reporting the regions which have just gone completely down the toilet and that's partly the graduate culture that david mm. goodhart is talking about in head hand and heart um, but also just value sets that are just not represented in that narrow cognitive elite mm. and Because the point that he makes in Head, Hand, Heart is that that narrow cognitive elite, for quite a long time, just governed in its own favour. Yes, I think that's the problem. The the classic case of mistaking yourself and your own preferences Mm. for everybody else's preferences and what everybody else wants to do. And then you finish up with really nasty policy ruptures. Uh, and brexit is the obvious example but there are the fall of the red wall is another one it's yes. just yeah you know, uh, nobody and none of these Labour people
1: and uh, none of these people could see it coming we could talk about this all day Helen, as you can tell but we can't because we're out of time unfortunately but we'll have to pick it up I think again and I'm sure we will because I think it's a very uh, good theme for us here at talk radio because we like to represent all the people of this country, uh, not just a small portion of them who happen to think they're very clever. You see what I'm saying? Helen Dale, writer, lawyer, political thinker, commentator. Thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let's talk now to Fenton Parsons. He's the owner at Red Pepper Promotions in Belfast. Fenton, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Mike. Uh, It's a pleasure to be on the show. Very kind of you to be here. I mean, you're very much part of the sort of uh, forgotten group of people that the government doesn't seem to want to acknowledge. I mean, they talk a good game. They talk about, you know, lifting restrictions. They talk about, you know, allowing people to go back to work, but they always say, oh, well, you know, it might be a long time before we see live music. You know, might not get Glastonbury for five years. I mean, how are you guys coping? Uh, (laughs) How are
4: we coping? That's a very good question. Um, We have to cope. Mm. Uh, There is no other uh, way out. Um, yeah, look, during the lockdowns that we have at the moment, obviously, all businesses are suffering. Retail, hospitality, you know, this isn't all just about musicians. However, the difference with the musicians is that they haven't been allowed. And when I say musicians, I mean the music industry. I mean the venues, the promoters, the technical people, sound engineers, light engineers. The staff that work in the venue, the whole music industry itself, has not been allowed to work in an efficient manner, where they can earn a living, since last March.
1: And that's extraordinary because when you think about that, I don't know how if you want to tell me how much money you would otherwise have been generating, but not just for yourself, but for your acts, but for also the theatres, for the people that work in and around, and all of that, all of that stuff. I mean, it's millions of pounds, isn't it? In the end, in the industry,
4: it's probably billions. Yeah, as a billions, um, certainly from a personal point of view, and from Don uh, Martin's point of view, who would be my main uh, act that I manage, um, I, and I'm also involved in, in promotion of small to uh, mid-sized uh, events, and I also am involved in Northern Ireland's premier blues club, the Endler Delta Blues Club. Um, yeah, the lot the loss is is total. It's a total loss. There is no earnings there whatsoever. Um, As far as Don Martin goes and many other uh, individual musicians who are able to play an instrument and sing, and believe it or not, there's not that many of them around. Mm. A lot of acts involve a bunch of musicians and and a vocalist, a singer. Quite often that singer is not a musician. So even that singer now is not allowed to, to, to stream the backing tracks that are copyrighted on the likes of Facebook and YouTube. Right. So the, the singers are, even, uh, are being um, penalised nearly even more than the musicians who are able to sing as well. Right. Now, Don Martin has been able to uh, do some Facebook streams, which are free to watch for people who doesn't charge for that, he does put up a, a tip jar for his PayPal and thankfully he does receive a few tips. So mm. he's got something coming in, but it's a minuscule amount. Yeah. I mean, it would be a very small percentage of his monthly
1: income. And of course, um, there's not much advertising on something like that. So I presume he can't make much. I mean, I, I know you can make a little bit out of Facebook advertising, but not an awful lot. No, uh, it,
4: not not for an artist uh, of, of, of his stature. Mm. For the likes of your snow patrols and, People like that, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They're they're going to make. They're still going to make money even sitting at home, yeah, because they've got such a back catalogue of music, which is being streamed, which is being monetized on YouTube, etc. Mm. Yeah, they're still making an income. Unfortunately, for musicians at the lower end who are either part-time musicians or full-time musicians uh, like Don Martin is, um, they. Don't have a massive back catalogue to rely on. They're in the situation now where they need to earn money to make new music, to be creative. Yes. And thankfully, the arts—thankfully, the arts council, certainly in Northern Ireland, and I know in in Great Britain as well—they have run schemes uh, to to help the artists. Um, look, it's not perfect. Some artists have benefited from it; others haven't. There are other parts of the arts, apart from music, that maybe feel that they're being left out a little. So the arts councils are... Are, are, are getting it getting it from, from all directions. Yeah. But they are trying to, to support the industry.
1: Yes, yeah, so I speak to um, um, a friend of mine, Donald Macleod, up in Scotland quite a bit. He's got some nightclubs and he's a music promoter as well. And he was slightly worried when the Arts Council money started to come through that a lot of it was being given to kind of what you might call kind of legacy theatres rather than um, nightclubs and, and music venues as such. Um, so is that kind of similar to what's happening in Northern Ireland then?
4: Yeah, we, we've had... We have had several schemes from Arts Council in Northern Ireland. And thankfully, Dom was uh, a recipient of one grant, uh, sorry, two grants yeah. so far, one small, one and one slightly better, which has been an enormous help for him being able to stream mm. uh, and then make a few pounds that way. Uh, but there are, ven- there are a lot of venues um, all over the country, not just in Northern Ireland, all over the UK. They're not going to come out of this. They're not going to come out of this at all, and some some venues have been very fortunate because they have received support, uh, and that's great news for them, obviously. Mm. But it's a very small percentage, uh, and the problem with that is with venues disappearing, that grossly affects grassroots music in the UK, mm. and grassroots music is where the stars of the future come from. I know there are some that come from doing Instagram videos in their bedroom these days Mm. and and, you know social media numbers mean so much for an artist to progress these days. I don't agree with it but that's the way the industry is but for that grassroots level there's a massive problem and that's going to uh, be very obvious in the next five to ten
1: years. Right and what about your own business Fenton in terms of your uh, I mean I don't know if you have premises you have to pay rent um, you'll obviously have overheads Your presumably um not in a position to make any money at all so so what have you had no well f- thankfully
4: <laughs> i actually am semi-retired so i have a pension coming in so i i'm i'm f- very fortunate but my my promotions business isn't bringing in anything it's just fracturing money constantly mm. you know i've got a van to run i i do sound and light as well so i've got all that technical equipment that is being paid for every month uh you know, I, I can't promote any. I can't promote any uh, uh, shows. I uh, Dom Martin uh, as his manager. He's not earning anything, so I'm not getting my management commission yeah. fee from that. So yeah, it, it, you know. I, again, I am fortunate because I do have some income, uh, which keeps the roof over my head mm. and keeps food on the table. But the majority of people don't have that, right. and they are earning nothing. Absolutely zero. I don't know how they're, how they're getting. I, I
1: find it astonishing, Vincent, to be honest. I mean, I can't believe how many people are somehow just surviving and, 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 and not just, you know, just despairing. Because I know so many people. I mean, I was hearing a story today from a, from a friend of mine of somebody who's got to teach, uh, homeschool his daughter, but he can't stop working. He drives a truck. So he takes his daughter with him in the truck with an iPad to try and get her to learn something through the course of the day from the school I mean it's unbelievable what people are having to, to, to do And what what's it like in the Republic of Ireland and I presume their lockdown is even worse isn't it yeah
4: I, I mean we obviously being in the north um, we're not obviously affected by the, the uh, republic rules we have our own uh, no but is, I mean you can't cares. go and
1: do anything there either is kind of what no. I mean
4: oh, no 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 uh, in fact I actually saw on the news last night that drivers who are crossing the border into the Republic are being stopped and fined
1: really <laughs> Yeah. What so, by, by and, the know, Republic? It, it, yeah,
4: it, it's crazy. Dear it's God. crazy, and, and, and you know they're being turned back. Um, so they, their rules in the Republic are actually stricter than
1: in in the North. Mm. That's <clears> extraordinary, <throat> isn't it? And I mean, um, Van Morrison's been quite vocal about this, hasn't he, over in, in your part of the world? he, he's... he has. He's been he's is... been very he's been very vocal. Yeah. And he's been, is he he's not been launching vocal. himself? Is he not launching a lawsuit or something at the Northern Irish government?
4: He 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 is. Um, I'm not sure what stage that is at, right? Uh, but he certainly he was very vocal a few months back, and uh, I I <laughs> he annoyed a he annoyed a few people, yeah. and then he went very quiet for right. a while. But now the lawsuit has been announced, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I I, I don't think it'll it'll make much ground, but here, if it makes him feel better and if it if it hi, at least highlights. The, the, the music industry's plate, yes. then that's a good thing.
1: Well, because, of course, what people forget is, as I say, it's not just about, you know, it's the same conversation about hospitality, you know. Yes, of course I'd love to go to the pub and have a pint, but it's not just about me going to the pub. It's about the business of pubs and the business of, of raising tax revenue for the for the exchequer and, and the amount of people who are employed in it. And the same goes for the theatre business, the, the, the music business. And you guys are, like, last on everybody's list in terms of the government. You know, they don't come to you until they've opened everything else up.
4: No. Well that's true. And I mean even when even when the pubs and the venues were allowed to open, um, certainly in Northern Ireland, uh, last summer for a few months and whatever, there was no live music allowed. Right. Absolutely none. Um and uh, the, the scientists are coming out saying, Oh yes, you know, singers are or uh, producing a lot of Air carried virus. And I mean, whatever. yeah, that's
1: you, mad, isn't it? I mean, in Scotland, well, well they, wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't even play when the pubs were open in Scotland, which was a long time ago. They weren't allowed to even play any recorded music in case people burst into song.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's ludicrous. I mean, the fact the fact that uh, they're saying that a live singer um, is going to be louder than anybody talking that's absolute nonsense because a live singer has a microphone in yeah. front of them and their sound is amplified. Right. They are actually. Uh, being quieter
1: right.
4: in real terms than staff in the venue and people talking over a pint or a meal. Mm. So, you know, I, I just don't buy that, unfortunately, at all from no. the
1: scientists. It's just nonsense. Well, it's more rubbish, isn't it? I mean, it's a, these are the same people that thought it was a good idea to put a 10pm curfew on the pubs when they were open, thereby killing half their business uh, and making sure that everybody left the pub at the same time uh, and crowded out into the street. I mean, it's just madness.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean... it. It it's, it's crazy to think that people aren't going to drink as much if they close the pub earlier. Mm. All they're going to do is drink faster. right I mean we, we know this. I mean this is why this is why the, the licensing laws were changed so long ago from the pubs having to close at 11 and kicked out by half 11. Mm. And especially in in, in, in England, uh, you know you, you were actually behind us in that respect. Yeah. you know you, you still had uh, closing time in the afternoon. <laughs> right. you know you you had a lunchtime opening period and then uh, then an evening period you know people just drink faster right if you don't allow them more time to relax and enjoy their drinks they will drink faster mm. in a shorter time yeah. so
1: it's just it's a complete farce of course it is uh, what about um life in northern ireland fenton at the moment because obviously we hear a lot from uh, uh from various people about what it's like currently with this kind of you know strange situation where uh, many people in Northern Ireland have said they feel like strangers in their own land, slightly abandoned by the UK government over the Brexit deal.
4: Yeah. Um there's only one word to describe it at the moment and that is shambles.
1: I thought you were gonna say something else there for a second.
4: <laughs> no no there may there may be children. I was ready with my finger on the button. <laughs> there may be children, watching. Yeah. Um no, it it's an absolute shambles. Um obviously Northern Ireland, as you know, is an incredibly complicated part of the UK. Yeah. Um, it's always been the, the backside of the UK. We've always been treated as that. Um, but it, it, look, it's, it, it's, it's been what it has been, and we're trying to move forward. However, when the, the whole UK Brexit vote happened, the UK voting has won, we then had Scotland and Northern Ireland saying, oh, but hang on a minute, we didn't have the majority vote for, for leaving the EU. So basically what has happened what has happened to us in Northern Ireland as part of the UK, we are still in the EU Customs Union and we have this imaginary border down the Irish Sea, mm. which is grossly affecting business to business between Northern Ireland and the UK, or sorry, mainland UK. Because you've got VAT problems, there are import duties being put on goods coming into Northern Ireland which are coming from England, but were originally manufactured outside of the UK. In Mm. other words, in the EU or even outside of the EU. Mm. So there's a massive, I think it's over £22 in value or something like that. So people buying goods from Amazon, which have originally maybe come from China or wherever, they're not from the 1st of April, it's likely they're going to have to be paying an import duty on anything over a certain amount. Right. It, it's madness. That is madness, even though that's coming from the UK to another part of the UK.
1: I know. I'm sure, I mean, I've spoken to Kate Hoey about this before. I'm sure that Boris can fix it and he just needs to get on with it, really. Listen, I'm sorry we're out of time, Fenton, but listen, point us in the direction of where we can find um, the music uh, of Don Martin, if we, if anybody wants to find it. Yep, Dom
4: Martin. Uh, his website is www.dommart.in, D-O-M-M-A-R-T dot OK. You'll find his music on Spotify and all his social media is at Music Dom Martin and his YouTube is Dom Martin Official.
1: OK, brilliant stuff. Well, listen, uh, good luck with it all, Fenton. We'll probably come back and talk to you soon, uh, sooner rather than later when, uh, you know, something happens that may give you some shaft of light, some hope that you might be able to do business again in the music business. Fenton Parsons, uh, the owner of Red Pepper Promotions in Belfast. And uh, what a terrible situation it is for people in that business. Talk Radio across the UK,
0: online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.